Hi, this is the Ignoramus Guide podcast, and I am Wei Chan, and this is my co-host, Ileana Chan. <laughs> and uh, here's our special guest, model, actor, dancer, um, artist, those things. academic, uh, Jan. Welcome. Uh, Yay. <laughs> Thank hey. you. Thanks for having me. Well, and we're going to be discussing... Oh, Nice to finally be on this podcast. <laughs> well, yes, yeah. After being uh, an avid listener for the last uh, while, so it's good. I feel I feel very honoured to be oh. on this side. Oh, you're the listener! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We found the listener. Um, so this month, book of the month is debt, and that's what we're really discussing. Wait. Yay! It's a really, really big book. Wait, wait, this is a podcast, so you have to actually say what it is. Oh, yes. Sorry. <laughs> this is <laughs> Death, the First 5,000 Years by David Graeber. Yay. So why did we choose this book, Way? <laughs> we chose it because, well, first of all, um, he died last year, which is sad. Um, and I really, uh, well, actually, I had read his book, um, Bullshit Jobs, uh, during a very difficult time in my life. Um, and I just really, really liked his tone. It was just the perfect mix of like snarky, uh, but analytical. And it's just really, I think it resonates with a lot of people. Um, so, yeah. Um, in fact, the book, Bullshit Jobs, um, came after a really famous article that he wrote, also called Bullshit Jobs, which everyone should go read. Um, and uh, I think I think a lot of people know it. It's, it's pretty viral. But, um, but yeah, that's how I got onto him. And uh, fortunately, he died last year. Um, but debt, uh, the last 5,000 years, that's, uh, that is pretty topical in my mind, um, not least because I've been watching Squid Game. Oh, yes. Are you watching that? Are you watching I, that? I mean, obviously I've heard of it. Mm-hmm. I haven't started it yet. What? I know. I like to, I like to like let the hype sort of just peter out and people start complaining about how shit it is. And then I go in <laughs> with like <laughs> tempered expectations. You either want to like... be before it's cool or after it's cool. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the truth is I just haven't gotten around to it. <laughs> What about you, Leanne? Have you uh, watched Squid Game? Uh, yeah, I have. Yeah, I just I just finished the last episode. Then, but I, I, since no I've been spoilers. Reading, no, I won't. I won't. I won't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> since since I've been re- reading um, this book, I've been seeing debt everywhere. So I, I, I text Wade the other day. I was like, "Oh, Squid Game's all about debt." Yeah, <laughs> the more, the more there I, are so um, many levels. The more man. I think about it, everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how um, how familiar are you with uh, David Graeber's work before this book? How were um, you? Me, not very much. Just just um, uh, yeah, I've I've heard of his ideas about bullshit jobs, and I knew that he was uh, involved in some way with the Occupy Wall Street um, movement. Um, yeah, but this is this the is... first sort of proper work of his I've, I've read. And this is like the ten year anniversary, which uh, of Occupy mm-hmm. Wall Street. Yeah, so I think we're kind of talking about these things at a very interesting time. Um, so maybe we'll have a chance to talk about that in, in a bit more detail as well as the book itself. 
Yeah, absolutely. What? Okay, so what is your what are your thoughts, both of you, about this book? Wow. <laughs> um, well, I um, uh, I, I guess in in one way it's quite an unusual book, um, because it's it's really I mean it's really sprawling. So even though it's about death, it kind of covers like the whole sort of range of like human histories. Um, he talks about uh, I don't know culture, like, e economics, history, you know, all these things, um, and it's uh, so it's it's sort of giving this kind of really sort of long range sort of um, bird's eye view of of, of, the, of the topic, um, and he you know he, he's able to kind of I guess like trace the trace the idea of debt through this this whole range of things. Um, it's, I mean it's it's really incredible like, the just the range of knowledge he has about the about such a variety of subjects. Like yeah. he's able to talk about anth anthropology, Through ancient death. Greece. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's like amazing. every single aspect of life is to do with death. <laughs> That's what I came away with. Like marriage, yeah. dowries, um, laborers, like uh, religion, military action, like everything is to do with death. Morality, yeah. crime punishment, all of that. Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, yeah. was interesting. And the amount of anecdotes in like, I guess, I guess anecdotes, right? You call it that sort of, even though it's historical uh, in this book, it's like thousands and that feels like thousands and thousands of different examples. Um, yeah, yeah so I've, I've never read um, a sort of specifically kind of anthropological work before. So it was interesting to, to get that kind of background as well. I'm sort of, um, my, my own background is in history, I guess, really. And um, so it, it, history is written in a very different kind of way. So it's really interesting to see this using anthropology, so sort of the study of um, uh, various societies and how they kind of organize and do things. And, and then use that to sort of prove more general points about the way that we think about that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, ov overall, I suppose it just, it, it made me really think as you say, that everything is connected to, to debt in some way, um, and sort of made me kind of you know sort of rethink and, and reframe the way I think about lots of, uh, lots of lots of ideas. Um, I mean, it's a very powerful kind of argument, even though it's very sprawling and it can be in, in times he, um, can meander a bit off the point um, before getting back to it. Um, but it's uh, it's a really it's a pretty amazing piece of work at the same time. Yeah, and you've got a really good point, like, well, I guess it was your way that talked about it being, no, was it you who talked about it being Squid Game? It's just very relevant Wait. to our society today, isn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah. With Squid Game. Yeah, yeah. With Squid um, Game. Yeah. Well, it's, it's made me think about my own debts and, um, you know, re reassessing what that means and, 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 like, the relationship that you have with it, you know, which I think, I think lots of us, it's um, something that uh, makes, you know, whatever personal debt we have because everybody has it in some way whether it's just a credit card that you don't need to be paid at the end of the month um but uh, we have we have this really kind of complex kind of um relationship with it like this kind of idea that you know there's this sort of guilt and um you you feel like you should, you know there's some you have some kind of moral um imperative like pay it back um and kind yeah. of getting, getting away from that and not seeing it as as something that you know seeing it as, as uh so, uh, yes it's something that's not um maybe as necessary as we thought to to life then um, well i mean he does kind of like bring it to places where i'm not 
I'm not sure about like in terms of he brings it to places like marriage being as some sort of a debt like because I, I think his suggestion I mean his definition of debt is almost like if you make a promise then you have a debt so if you make any sort of commitment then you have a debt to the person you committed to he kind of brings it to that place and I mean I think that's why it becomes such a moral imperative to pay back the debt um I mean well he talks about that like as in actually money is considered more important to pay back than like your marriage vows <laughs> even though they're both kind of like a dip debt in a way right and he he he, he kind of I think he starts off introducing the whole concept with this anecdote about, you know, why he became interested in the whole thing in the yeah, first place. Yeah, that was interesting. Do you remember it? Yeah. Yes. And, um, I think he was talking about the way that um, the IMF yes. uh, keep uh, countries in the third world in, in permanent debt, even when they've paid that debt many, many, many times over. And it's absolutely crippling and there's there's no way that they're ever going to be able to pay it back and uh, he was explaining this to somebody who he think he thinks of as you know probably like a liberal probably quite left-leaning um and actually working for yeah working for <laughs> philanthropy and uh, he uh and and they were talking about a situation where um i think that year 7,000 children have died or something like that from as, as a direct consequence of austerity um, uh, measures uh, imposed on them by the IMF um, that they then had to impose on their people, reducing healthcare and, and you know, essentially killing uh, 7,000 children. And uh, he suggested to this person that um, there should be a jubilee or do they call it a jubilee? Like, like um, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Jubilee, it comes from it, it, it comes from the Bible. Um, mm. There's this idea of the, the jubilee. Yeah. Mm. And um, yeah, so he suggested that that debt should just be wiped off or, or forgiven. And um, he was just so surprised that the response from that person was, "Well, they borrowed the money, so they have to repay the debt, surely." And and she said it in such a natural and instinctive way despite being you know quite a nice person and, and considering herself to be quite a charitable person yeah. that it kind of sent him down this rabbit hole of um Wasted. you know why why is that so ingrained into our culture yeah, our, like why, why, would why, she... why does she even not like you know why does it never cross our mind that that someone could be forgiven their debt yeah, why would she mm. think that 7,000 children's lives are less important than paying back a debt? And I think that it does bring us back to now. And like, that is one of the things that he talks about too a little bit is um, just the, debt is not always a bad thing. Like he, he shows lots of predatory ways in which debt is used. Um, very um, slave, well, slavery is like sort of a form of debt. Mm. Um, in the way that he describes it in, in during history. But just the idea of like the debt ceiling, for example, in the US, just being a completely made up idea, um, which uh, I guess we could go into a little bit more, but before, but my point being like this whole thing about the deficit myth 
um, and the deficit, bringing it back to your point way where it's like the deficit is what um, sort of leads to the rationale behind like austerity. It's always like, well, how are we gonna pay back? How are we gonna pay that back? And it's like, who cares if people are dying? Who cares if people are mm -hmm. homeless? I mean, the US, it's like, who cares if no one has healthcare? Because how are we gonna pay that back? And mm -hmm. it's just like, who gives a shit? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, people are dying now and you're like, the future generations will die. It's like, well, people are already dying. So why is that a justification for not spending? And as if there ever will be a day where we will have zero debt. Exactly. And well, he talks about this too. Like, okay, so now I need some clarification from you guys, like a little bit more economic minded, because I did a whole episode on the deficit myth and I still am a little bit like shaky on, I think the logics behind the deficit. Like for example, one of the things he does say is like, you can't have zero deficit because in the economy, that's not actually a good thing zero deficit um and I have to say I don't really understand <laughs> that stuff you know that well I just I have been told by people that I trust like that in order for the economy to work you need to be investing so it, investment it equals debt equals a deficit so yeah why would you zero, ever have zero debt though like unless yeah. you intend to die or something like that everyone and that's not a good thing anyway because yeah. that means that doesn't that does that just mean that the economy stops? Like, what is, what does that mean? I mean, uh, it, it's kind of making me think of, in, I mean, in, in this book, he, one way he talks about that is that in, in sort of pre-money economies, um, there's, there's sort of a constant back and forth between, between individuals. So, you know, somebody owes somebody uh, $4, um, <clears throat> um, and they they sort of give them a gift that's worth five, and then the person in turn gives right. them a gift gift that's worth sort of slightly less. Um, so that there's always kind of a back and forth, and debt in yeah. that way is actually kind of part of um, sociability. So it's it's being being in debt to your neighbors and to to, to people in in that kind of way is um, is actually yeah, because you know, he it's, says it's that sort of binding communities together. Yeah, he says that, that the thing is, if you bought the, a gift that was exactly the same price as the gift you got, it was almost like you were saying that you wanted to finish the relationship. Mm -hmm. That, it, mm -hmm. that the, the gift that you have to give in, in um, reciprocation has to be less, slightly less or slightly more than the gift you got. It can't be exactly the same price to the cent, which is so bizarre. <laughs> Is it, well, I see. I think this is that you you kind of you you were talking about just a couple of minutes ago about um, you know how how debt um, as as he sees it in some in some senses is is a good is a good thing or is not a bad thing at least and that that for me is kind of the whole heart of the argument of the whole book which is that he's kind of how did we get from this place where where debt was this thing which is actually just about oh you know sort of owing your neighbors but may maybe not owing them in a very kind of strict sense but in, in a general sense but, you know feeling some kind of moral um sort of um interest in 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 the people around you in your communities and that, that's how you know that's at the, at the beginning of the five thousand years i suppose that's where we were <laughs> and we're in the position now where somebody as uh, you know way explained in the anecdote you know a, you know a person who is supposedly sort of liberal um sees uh that 
the, that it's more important to pay back a debt than it is to save human lives. So we, we've gone from a position where uh, debt is something that's kind of cancelled out and not really that important to it's actually we, we've, we've, put a, we've put a specific value on people so you can buy and sell people with money I in mean, a way. Um, do you think that she understood the 7,000 children died? died? Well, from the anecdote, well, I, yeah. I mean, I mean, I like, if he actually put it out there. No, because... I think he did, yeah. I think they had just been talking so about crazy. how 7,000 children. Mm. And I think the mm. other interesting point he put forward was that not only did he find it interesting that, you know, she would justify... Obviously, she didn't say, oh, well, they'll just have to die then. But she did not see forgiving the debt as an option, I think. It was mm. just like, mm. how can we help them outside of this, you know? And he thought, there is, he, I think he kind of thinks there is almost no other thing that you could put on the table where she would think it was okay for 7,000 children to die, mm -hmm. except it. So not only is it more important than life, it's actually the most important thing that she can think of. Yeah, I mean, she can't imagine. Like, I think in her mind, she's like, oh, but what can we do to help the children? And she just can't imagine as like forgiving the debt as a possible solution. It seems completely impossible. <laughs> To come to that. Well, the, I mean, the, well, the power of this book for me was, was is, is in it, it sort of explains how we got there, you know, to right. the, at this point where um, where this is, seems like the normal um, uh, the, the sort of normal way of doing business, and, and we think it's inevitable. But you know, this, as this book really explains really well, is that it's not inevitable at all, and it was it was never the way, and it, for a long time it wasn't the way that um, that we did business. Um, in fact, it's it's not that death in a very general sense that, you know, of course, it's a good thing that you can kind of borrow things from your neighbor or your community. And then, and then you have some kind of, you feel some kind of general moral obligation to, to, uh, to help them out then in turn, when you have more, that's, you know, that's, a, you know, essentially what, what debt was in sort of pre-money economies. Um, but then it moves, yeah, it, it becomes this, this, this really, um, uh, this really kind of awful thing, which is, um, I mean, essentially, uh, as far as I can tell in the book, he kind of explains it that when um, when the the economy sort of permits, uh, first of all, slavery and then sort of state violence and things like that, it's that you you that that's the point to when something like debt becomes uh, this very kind of exact kind of cold, like cal calculated thing, and um, that uh, that we know of, that 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 we kind of experience. As today, I suppose. Yeah, it's kind of, he does talk about when you take out the human interaction, um, that's when it can become extremely sociopathic. Yeah. Um, that's why I was wondering about this lady, like, was she not, was it not explicitly said <laughs> these 7,000 children died? Like, what? was that not explicitly said? But then 7,000 children sometimes in your mind can feel like, too abstract and too like, you know, versus one child. If it was one child put in front of her, she might have had a different <laughs> answer, maybe. <laughs> really hung Ironically. up on this children's story, yeah. Yeah, it's also the way it's framed, isn't it? So if yes. it's, I mean, it's because it's framed in a way that we've been taught to think that nothing is more important than paying debt, um, right. that she's able to have this kind of view. Whereas, it, I mean, I'm sure 
like most people, um, even you know, people who are um, you know, massive fans of the capitalist system, they would, if you said, you know, um, if you framed it in a in a in a way that makes it very inhuman, like which which you, do you think this child's life is worth, um, you know, twenty thousand uh, dollars, and then they would say, no, of course, you know, of course, you would say that person, but um, when you when you frame it in terms of a debt that has to be paid back, people seem to just lose that sense of humanity for some reason. Yeah, it's also just it makes me it makes me think of all the Shakespearean texts about debt, like the Polonius. Um, you know, speech about debt and then like Merchant of Venice. I mean, mm. it's like this whole, we've been indoctrinated by the importance of debt <laughs> through so many avenues. Yeah. I think we've got an actor in the house. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and a Shakespeare I was, I was professor. Did you know that? Venice. Did you know Jan was a Shakespeare yeah. professor? <laughs> One of my many careers. <laughs> I'm not, Shakespeare no. um, <laughs> But But I, I, I do know Merchant of Venice and I was thinking about it and um, what, uh, what what it kind of made me again it made me sort of rethink or reassess my way of thinking about that that play and mm. uh, it, it is what I think Shakespeare is 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 sort of making um, clear is that a debt which is is sort of placed um, or or is sort of valued on on a human life or a part of human life is like ridiculous and you just can't um, pay it back right so that's like one of the real, you know, that's that's a real key theme in the book, but it's also exactly what the the debt that um, that uh, Antonio owes to Shylock is one that's like just not enforceable. But actually, we you know three or four hundred years later, we like in in a in a weird kind of twisted way, lots of people would say that kind of debt is enforceable. Like it's no different to the the um, children dying of because they don't have malaria nets. Um, so it's kind of yeah, it's very interesting that that was just at the beginning of this kind of this kind yeah. of uh, way of thinking about it is yeah. really fascinating because now I'm thinking like of course a pound of flesh of course you can because it's just like you would just have to keep paying forever because you'd never actually be able to fulfill the requirements of that debt and that's basically what happens with capitalism um and that brings me to Occupy Wall Street <laughs> what a brilliant nice. segue guys <laughs> nice well done well done well done <laughs> Um, I don't know if you want to say anything more about that, but basically I do think that what is fascinating about David Graeber for me, okay, I was quite ignorant about him. I'd never heard of him before, never heard of bullshit jobs. Um, I had heard of Occupy Wall Street though, but I didn't know that he was um, so influential within that movement. Um, can you guys talk a little bit more about how his ideas were influential in that movement? Or any thoughts about that you have about that? Um, so, I mean, from what I, what I gather, a lot of it is, I mean, he, he was he was one of the initial um, organizers. So, you know, before it was set up, um, in, in the months before he was um, involved in the, in the meetings, uh, mm. which kind of uh, which which led to the led to the movement. Um, and he he was he was very so a lot of Occupy Wall Street was actually directly uh, in response to. Um, debt and uh, you know trying to sort of um, uh, trying to organize around debt forgiveness and debt cancellation and he was involved in that as well as he, he had a big hand in, in writing um, a, a sort of a handbook which was to help people getting out uh, from underneath um, sort of predatory loans and so forth. Um, and, and to, to and clarify then, did he mean on an individual basis or did he mean on 
on a country a lot, basis or everything? No, a, a, a lot of it was to do with personal debt with Occupy Wall Street. Yeah, so that's where a lot of the organization came up, um, came around. And of course, I mean, he's really interested in the IMF and this kind of macro debt stuff as well. But a lot of it was just these, you know, pe people, it was 2011, so people were... Um, defaulting on mortgages okay. and they've got lots of credit card debt and then lost their jobs and so forth so it's you know there's a real crisis around uh, around personal debt as well as like the sort of debt of you know of, of countries like Ireland and Iceland and Greece and places like that um, so that was one thing and then the other thing which I think is really interesting is that he was involved in in the sort of uh, thinking about the political structure of the the movement itself so so um Graeber is, um, he described himself as an anarchist. So that's like a, yeah, a political so system, which isn't, you know, doesn't believe in hierarchy um, and is sort of based around sort of consensus um, decision-making and so forth. So a lot of the, 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 the structure and the decision-making that went on at Occupy Wall Street was, was sort of, you know, using those ideas and like trying to find, come up with new ways of, um, of um, you know how, how groups can make decisions and so forth and a lot of that was based on his ideas um, it's so funny because like yeah. he did I <coughs> excuse me I did a, a listen to an interview with him where he talked about how Occupy Wall Street as as it as it sort of progressed along because it was like months and and I guess we would say that but we should talk about how, how it's affected the rest of politics 10 years later, but, you know, as it progressed, he was saying that one of the things was, was that a lot of the more middle-class professional people came in and sort of instituted rules and hierarchies. Mm -hmm. And as that happened, a lot of like working class or people that weren't in the prof professional class sort of faded away or left because they couldn't adapt see, to that yeah. new system. And so it was like kind of co-opted within mm -hmm. itself into a hierarchy and I just I'm curious how an anarchist sort of deals with that idea because in my mind it almost seems like anything will sort of anything in human nature sort of groups itself not 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 because it innately groups itself but but we as humans put meaning to things um, to sort things out and so any sort of, I don't know how anarchy works in, in, on, on mass, you know, without someone coming in and sort of like trying to do some sort of hierarchy within that. Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, it's, it's, it's about trying to think of a sort of a way of doing things that's so radically different and doesn't involve um, hierarchical structures, which is really difficult. You know, I, yeah. I, feel, I feel the exact same, you know, I find it, I find it incredibly difficult to think of, of other systems and that's um uh, it's only very rarely when you know these particularly creative people come along they're able to imagine different things uh but then they uh, become leaders <laughs> yeah yeah well, i don't think there's any problem with with having you know i i suppose it's 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 not thinking about them as people as leaders but as as like facilitating conversations and like an inspiration you know, rather than an authority. Yeah, and it's 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 difficult because there's there's something in human nature that tends yeah. to sort of uh, gather around particular people, and and once they once they have some kind of um, uh, influence, then more and more people gather, and then so it's very it's really easy to end up with hierarchical structures, even when it doesn't start out like that. Um, 
which I suppose is why something like Occupy Wall Street is so interesting because it's this experiment, you know, where you they they did at least in the early days kind of try to do something in a different way. Um, um, I, I was also we were talking just before we started about disinformation, yeah. and I mean my kind of I suppose for a long time my kind of overwhelming feeling or um, uh, sort of uh, not not feeling what's the word uh, my impression of Occupy Wall Street was as as something that had ultimately failed you know it was this kind of well-meaning but um, uh, you know it had sort of eventually gone away. Um, yeah. But uh, but of course, if you think about it, I mean, it didn't really fail. It was you know the the the, the last thing was happened was that they brought bulldozers into the, the yeah. part they were occupying, and you know, so it was it was very violently suppressed. And mm -hmm. It's really interesting right. that that kind of gets um, spun into you know oh it's just you know they they're well meaning but it's sort of fizzled they out. They didn't have any fizzled idea. Out. Yeah, it's right. No, yeah, yeah. just na naturally you know naturally the bulldozers just turned up. And sort yeah. of, yeah. <laughs> just... <laughs> just that just and then yeah and then like uh it naturally fell apart and then got got physically bulldozed over as, as all failed ideas yeah yeah as, yeah. as happens to all failed ideas like, no exactly bulldozers. it's yeah. it's a bit like as if in you know when, when people say that you know the I don't know, so communism doesn't work in Cuba or something like as, it, as if you know, they're sort of ignoring the fact that there's, you know, there's an embargo and yeah. uh, you know, they're not allowed <laughs> That's to. That's so ridiculous. Of... <laughs> yeah, but it's such a common thought process. Um, but that does bring me to this like, other idea because, like, David does talk about communism in his book. And I'm just curious about how he defines it in a different way, though. Like, mm -hmm. can you sort of clarify how he sort of defines it? Well, I mean, my, my understanding is that he's using it in this very kind of basic sense. Um, so not not sort of organized political communism, but just in the in the really general sense that you um, have some kind of communal bond to your neighbor. And, and he I mean, at some point he describes it just as love. So, you know, that, that kind of um, <laughs> that sort of community kind of um, thing. So it's like one form of exchange, really. And um, so it doesn't uh, it's. It's it's a kind of it's a kind of exchange when you don't necessarily expect to get anything back, um, but that you're doing something, or you're you're sort of helping people out for the for the benefit of a larger community. Oh. Right, there's kind of an element of like reciprocating help and and things like that. So yeah. I guess from that sense, you would never get you know someone with. 60 billion kind of chasing someone who with with about 500 pounds their name for debt and then repo <laughs> right. repossessing like their home and things like that and everyone just mm -hmm. going oh i mean yeah of course like you did pay <laughs> you didn't pay yeah. so um, yeah, yeah, yeah. so so yeah that's the right thing to happen where mm -hmm. i really got the sense that um he talked about debt and reciprocity yes, reciproc <laughs> <laughs> as um, re, um is it? Uh, yeah De and Re reciprocity 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 as uh, as something that is attached to com you know communities and 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 uh, and need and things like that and helping each other out and um what we have now is something that is divorced from that meaning you still have that that same kind of 
societal expectation around it or even a much stronger societal expectation around it but it's been divorced from its original idea of helping each other in need and things like that yeah yeah um well yeah and i i suppose the the thing that um allowed that change to happen is money essentially so um when when you stop um when you move from having this kind of informal credit credit economy to being able to sort of buy and sell anything using cash um, or a debt that it takes the form of cash, then it, everything becomes completely impersonal. So um, we, we kind of allow ourselves to, you know, have, have these kind of um, really impersonal kind of inhuman thoughts about what other people need. And um, uh, yes, and, and you know, the, the way that we exchange things with people is, has become in, in completely impersonal. Um, and it's, yeah, thanks to money. Yeah, it kind of does make me think, though, of like his anarchist ideas. And I guess, would, do you think he would call himself a communist as well? He seems to. I don't, I don't think in the political sense at all. Not in the, but sort but of I'm, in that love sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So in, in the, I mean, he, in, in, in the book, um, he... He, yeah, he uses he uses the term to sort of explain that one particular type of exchange. Um, I don't think he's kind of in the book at least. He's not really using it as like a, a system of um, of politics or even a, a way of kind of being, but rather just to explain this is one way in which you know e everybody is communist. You know, yeah. in, in that non political sense, like we all you know, the richest person in the world has. Uh, so much more common and so much more like natural than the way that we've been sort of indoctrinated to think of communism. Um, but I do still think that it is interesting to look at Chinese communism and this idea of com because yes, there's some very authoritarian. <laughs> oh, I can never say that word. Authoritarianist. Authoritarianist aspects to the CPC. Um, there is, but there's also a very cultural sense of this communism that he is talking about, which I find fascinating. Mm. You know, that because is true, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because there's this idea of like calling the police too, because my electricity is not working. You know, mm. <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah. this <laughs> idea of, um, and then also the way that they alleviated poverty was to go to different, to send officials to different very poverty-stricken areas to just figure out what they needed and to, you know, and it was like very little things too. Mm. I mean, not little, not little for them because it was their livelihood, but little in terms of the scope of like society, like here or in the West, we tend to think of help in terms of, you know, I don't know, like passing a huge bill, like the three, well, the $2 trillion mm. bill. Oh, we're sort of helping people, but it's not going to be like someone coming to your village or your your suburbs or whatever. <laughs> what they would call? What would you call like a village? I don't. know, You wouldn't really call it anything. Yeah. It? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And and what you just said kind of makes me think that you know you know when people talk about like a, a difference in Eastern culture in in the East, they are so uh, the the focus is on harmony community and in the west it's all about individualism and i never really actually bought that fully um and now you say it it kind of just makes me think this idea that 
Western people are individualist, it's just an excuse to not help people. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, because I, just... I do think in, in like, if you go back far enough, you will find like similar kind of village structures. And I, I, I highly doubt that they would be any less reciprocal um, right. than, any, than an Asian village would. Like, mm. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure small communities all work in, in very similar ways, to be honest. Mm. No, absolutely. I mean, that's the, in, in, the, in, in the book, I mean, it's, yeah, it has this kind of anthropological um, uh, perspective where he does look at sort of small communities and through history. And it, it does look like this very similar um kind of s- structures uh, it's just yeah it's it's not it's not sort of something inevitable or um yeah. uh yeah sort of inalienable about western culture it's just yeah. you know a situation that we've gotten ourselves into <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's not about innate characteristics oh, sorry. yeah good yeah it's really not about innate characteristics it's about and this is what I, i'm really interested in in terms of and i guess this sort of relates to disinformation or whatever it's just sort of like how do our systems and the way that we um proliferate m- um messages how does that actually control our thinking our cultural thinking into you know more individualist selfish selfish ways um Squid Game, sort of like <laughs> I haven't even watched it, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna reference it. Reference it because it's big. So <laughs> it's big, but also because I'm understanding that yeah, it's exactly. like a competition. Yeah. Mm. Right? No. Sorry. No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm understanding yeah. that it's some sort of competition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For yeah, survival yeah. and death, because of well, survival it, and death. Exactly. I mean, every, most of the most of the the characters in in the who are in this sort of hell, hellish kind of game um they're 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 in debt so that's um right. that's why they're, they're the sort game, of right? yeah yeah so they've sort of see they they sort of end up there because they feel like there's no other way out at all um yeah. and uh, they, they sort of end up in this either huge debt or, or a sort of small debt on the level of a person um and and it's apparently there's a there's a huge personal debt uh, crisis in in south korea and right. uh, so it's 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 um it's a korean it's um, tv show society. i mean have you guys watched um parasite yeah 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 yeah, yeah, like yeah. So i think it's kind of quite similar themes yeah and sort of an underclass of people that are yeah the analysis of south korean society it's very i think it's really interesting mm-hmm. and what's the one with the train um Train to Busan? No, that's a zombie movie, but there's another one <laughs> which is about like a train and it has Chris Evans in it. And mm. no, okay, I'm good. But Chris anyway, Evans. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think you need to Google it. Okay, I will in a second. But like, um, <laughs> and there's another anti capitalist one from Korea, which is also from Bong Joon Ho, isn't it? It's um, Okja. Oh, about, that oh, looks like a massive, vegetarian like, thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's like a lot of leftist allegory, well, very kind yeah. of on the nose, like anti-capitalist, like kind of allegory coming out of it. Okay, so I have a question about Squid Game, having not watched it. Mm-hmm. Do you think that, because there's so much talk about it being anti-capitalist, mm-hmm. but is it anti-capitalist, well, anti, anti-capitalist, anti-imperialist, like the Hunger Games, where 
Mm. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm wondering how many people who, because uh, The Hunger Games was a YA novel, really, initially, and then mm. set of movies. But I really wonder how many youths watched that or, or read that and thought, like, oh, maybe I should challenge the imperialist system. Like, I, mm. I don't know. I wonder about that. Well, I don't know. Gen Z are supposed to be more leftist, aren't they? So maybe it works. Maybe that's why it's so popular, mm. you think? Um, but yeah, yeah no, I don't think Squid Game's anti-imperialist. I think it's more about personal personal debt, as far as I could see anyway. I mean, I think there is an international, there is a section where they talk about like the relationship between Korea and like the, um, the UN Security Council nations, or they don't talk about it, but like, there are representatives of countries who just happen to be on the UN Security Council, um, and they kind of depict Korea as being bullied by those countries, which are like the US, Japan, China, um, who else is on it? France. Um, so yeah, but I don't know if they really, I don't know if that's really the point. That's yeah. kind of funny. I mean, if, if the idea that's a little bit unself-aware of the, you know, because we all know that South Korea aligned itself with America. Yeah. So to think that it's just all the countries against South, you know. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's how they must perceive it. But yeah, to be honest, like, um, it's not like the US and China gang off in Korea together. It's, yeah. It's powers, yeah. Obviously not. Um, but but there is a, a real anti-capitalist streak mm -hmm. in, in the show. Well, the whole, I mean, yeah, it's, as, as Wei said, it's, it's, it's an allegory. So it's like this really extended kind of metaphor of the whole, the whole thing is, is, is a fight, you know, to the death. Um, right. And, uh, you know, of, of these people who are in lots of, lots of debt. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a very kind of obvious kind of metaphor for like people <laughs> just, li you know, living these kind of um, rat race lives, you know, and uh, sort of uh, fight, you know, fighting amongst each other and not, not against like a sort of a bigger evil kind of in the background. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, and who, who do they say is the bigger evil? Because that's... Well, the organizers of the game. So there's like, you know, there's, there's kind of a sort of a, almost of God, God, God-like kind of, um, mm. yeah, it's, a, yeah, it's like a, I'm trying not to spoil it too much, but it's yeah, like, don't <laughs> essentially there's like a you know there, there's there's an organizers of the of the entire thing and they, they they sort of act like gods and they can they kind of um play play with people and um and rather than kind of ganging up against them or you know trying to find some other way out they just kind of everyone fights amongst themselves oh, that, yeah that's results. a metaphor yeah. for our society right now mm. and yeah, i think yeah. like going back to occupy wall street that was kind of the idea against i mean that was the idea of wall uh, occupy wall street was the 99 percent against the one percent oh uh, yeah 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 and that's the first that. time right that that sort of language was used so i think mm. right so I think that's the real influence of Occupy and mm. and, and Graeber specifically. Yeah, because that, mm. that was his right. that was his phrase. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's why he's so important. Okay, I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> what the ninety nine percent was Graeber's phrase? Yeah, uh, wow. yes, yeah, yeah. We, we, yes. Wow. According to Wikipedia and other sources, amazing. So, 
Wikipedia. And that's amazing. So yeah, the, the idea, the idea, I suppose that. Um, I mean, I guess we we had all there, there was you know obviously kind of a movement that was you know lots of movements are sort of mass mass movements against a tiny elite, but I suppose that was the yeah. first time it was articulated in that very specific way, and uh, you know that it's really is just tiny. It's probably ninety nine point nine percent against mm-hmm. one really is in lots of ways, uh, and, and that's kind of articulating it in, in that kind of way was really powerful because. Um, it made everybody realize that it's you know it's really a teeny teeny tiny number of people yeah. who hold like the by far the, the largest amount of money yeah um, because i think so, yeah. even now like the rhetoric i don't know i don't know about here um but in the u.s kind of like whenever it's um there's some sort of you know like this recent thing the two trillion now it's a two trillion dollar bill uh, mm. bill you know true to um but this idea it's always like yeah but they're gonna tax the middle class you know, there's always mm. this idea. And then really it just came out. And I don't know how long the statistic has been true, but that it's like the 1% own, owns more than the 90% of people's, like all the wealth in, in the US. Um, the 1% owns more money than the 90% of the population wow. in the US. <laughs> so that's insane. Um, and uh yeah, so that idea is like obviously if you just tax that one percent more, <laughs> you know, That's there's enough. so many things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not just that it's not a drop in the ocean, which is sometimes the way it yeah. gets fed, isn't it? It's like, like oh well, you know, it's not going to make that much of a difference if we mm-hmm. tax yeah. the the hundred richest people, mm-hmm. but actually it does make a difference. I yeah. guess it's also um, I mean it's it is in some ways it's kind of a controversial phrase you know, if you think about um. The, because it sort of lumps in the the ninety the ninety nine percent kind of in, includes um, people who are in yeah who are probably quite comfortable with mm-hmm. with people who are very little and of course it's good in some ways but it's also um, I guess it's good to also recognise that within that ninety nine percent that some people are really pretty screwed and some people mm. are in very yeah. different kind of sort of like sort of, sort of economic positions yeah because um, you so still have kind, the yeah, you're, you're still going to have the huge familial intergenerational wealth in that top 5%, you know, yeah. that... I think um, even, like, talking about 5% is is probably, yeah, is, is probably pretty tricky because I think there is more difference between the, the bottom end of the top 1% and the yes. top end of the top 1%, where on the bottom end, you've probably got people on like 150K or something like that. And the top end is almost unlimited, you know, like. Yeah. Um, so, but, but like, even within, time, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, at the same time, there's, there's um, not a huge amount of difference in sort of absolute standards of living's terms between somebody who's on, who's in the bottom of the 1%. The, the mm-hmm. top of the one percent. I mean, they 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 have more, um, you know, giant mansions. But uh, but in both cases, they have all of their basic living standards met to like yes. a pretty a pretty high degree. But yeah, it's That's it's more true. complex. It's it's a it's a simple, um, but really very effective uh, slope. Yeah, I mean, like it's... that. Well, like, it wouldn't really be important. as catchy if they said the top the ninety nine percent, but 
but this, but that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just we, like, like, we are the 99%, not... but uh, we recognize that within that, there is a whole uh, spectrum of different uh, levels. Of, uh, yeah, and know. also... It I wouldn't make think... a very good banner, that's the problem. Yeah. And exactly. also, it's yeah, just it like, again, it, it's just like, why do we... It's that whole thing that you're saying about Squid Game, I guess. It's like the, the idea that we're going to divide and then fight against each other. Like, why bother fighting against the top, you know, 10% or whatever? versus that one percent that probably really controls all the markets mm. in the world etc i mean mm. we're talking about and there's also like it like way was saying this huge difference between the one percent and then i think even the 97th percentile or whatever there's like um mm. but yeah they're they're comfortable and they're fine but that's not the point right like i don't know that's not the point to just make or even of communism not to just make everybody suffer that's like not not the point of that <laughs> no exactly it's yeah to, to give everybody what they need according to what they're what they're able to do and uh, um yeah there's so many other interesting things that i, I want to talk about there so i was i another thing that kind of as i was reading this um uh i'm I'm quite I'm kind of interested and really furious with uh, the universal credit system in the UK. Oh. Um, oh yeah. So, which is which is like you know it's basically this the there's a there's a complex social welfare system um, and they decided uh, in in 2010 to um, to simplify it as they said you know they're going to get rid of all these like different payments and just make one payment. Um, but again, okay, you know, so as reading. So is that why it's called universal credit? Because that really confused me. Well, I think it's a because confusing it's not... phrase. Yeah. Yeah, because um, it's not universal basic income. It's something. No. What? No. It, what is it actually? Well, well, it's the. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say it's the opposite, but it's 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 basically like um, it's it's the basic social welfare um, payment that you get if you're unemployed. So that's you know called in lots of different countries the dole or um welfare checks or whatever um, in different countries um and and lots of countries have different ways of dealing with it um but what i found really interesting is that when i when i thought about it um after reading this book is that they they sort of changed it from a system you know it used to be called um uh we had they had a few names but one of them was was job seekers allowance you know so it's an allowance mm -hmm. um, and, and so what they did you know just around the time actually of as graber was writing this book um, they changed it into, into a system of um, credit, so it's it's like they sort of um, they're sort of co-opting the whole world of like debt into the into the mm. social welfare system. So something that um. before is seen as an, you know as an entitlement, which which as it should be, um, mm -hmm. becomes something that you, you um. owe debt now to, to society. So it's like yeah. this credit that you're being given and you have to pay back. Because it's not a credit. Um, Why is it called a credit? No, because you're getting credit, like as in like they're saying you. You as an not. unemployed person are borrowing money from the government. Is that what they're but saying? You're not going to pay it back, though. No, but you do. They claw it back, don't they? Do they? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, if, yeah. Of course, through. I mean, the whole, the whole idea is that it's um, that by paying taxes and in the UK by paying national insurance, you are paying. You're always paying into it. Um, that's stupid, you know, so, because now I'm like, well, in that case, everyone, everyone should be on it because no, we've all <laughs> paid into it. Then. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, Absolutely. Well, I mean, I guess we're we're paying into it so that um, we so that there is a, a, a you know so because we're we're paying into a system 
that will then allow us to use it if we need to, um, if, if that's what we need, you know, for whatever reason. Yeah, um, but if you put it in those terms, um, I think like now it's like, oh, well, I actually specifically, okay, probably not me because I haven't been here for a while, but you know, and a, a British person that pays taxes here would be like, yeah, I've been paying this specifically for years and now I'm going to get it out of it. I mean, that isn't that like... It's less yeah. about no, I think we think about it as an as as a like an insurance premium or something like that. Yeah, think, yeah, that's you know? that's yeah, exactly. But it's nothing to but do with because in the sorry, go ahead. Well, what, what, what's interesting for me is that by 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 changing the name and and the way it works into into a into this this kind of language of credit and debit, they sort of they make it into this kind of moral thing. Like it's you know, this is something that you. You um you you don't uh, you know you, you it's not an it's not an entitlement that we're giving you it's like this it's a, like this thing that you have to pay back like maybe not specifically pay it back but you it's a, it's a it's now a moral debt that you owe the government and you owe the rest of society and that's like this really kind of insidious way of like thinking about social welfare. It's um, also not it's not very much, is it? No, it's terrible. Oh. Um, and and the other thing is, I mean, even more specifically than that. Um, the, the system itself is built around debt. So uh, there's there's a there's a five week waiting time once you become unemployed. And like if you've if you've ever been broke, like five weeks is like a laughable mm. amount of time to not have any mm -hmm. income. Like it's just mm -hmm. it's a joke. And um, so so they allow you to borrow money um, from the system. And so most people, not most, oh. but almost half of the people um, on Universal Credit or where a third of them are in arrears and they, they're paying it back every month. Uh -huh. So they so they've built the whole system. They've built kind of debt into the entire system. Um, the yeah, so that's... Like, debt is prison type of mm. mentality. Yeah, yeah, again. I think so. Yeah, no, I think it's such a good example of what Craver is kind of talking about is that, um, you know, by, mm. by sort of turning things from something that's human, um, you know, that we... Right. Uh, like social welfare is an entitlement that we we should be you know we should all be able to use when we need it and then pay back into it when we have the means from turning it into that into something which is just this kind of language yeah. of like debit and credit and yeah because welfare versus credit mm. you know that's very different you're right yeah no it says a lot about the kind of um, political system that was uh, yeah it was it was in place around the time that it began which is yeah, it's like language is so important. It's just like in the US, it would be benefits versus, mm -hmm. which is such a weird thing versus entitlements or, I mean, I guess entitlements is also used in a negative way as well. So, oh, gosh, just terrible. I don't know. <laughs> I just have that squid game like thing rotating in my head, you know, the song where it's like, Sorry, Liam, you're like totally out of the loop, but that's your fault <laughs> that for being such a hipster. It is. Don't be such a hipster and be like, I'm not watching it because everyone else likes it. <laughs> no, it's just that it has subtitles, so I have to pay attention. No. You know what? I did think that, but like, I mean, all these American people are watching it, all these American kids, so it must, must be, can't be that hard, you know? No, I mean, I watch lots <laughs> of Americans hate subtitles. subtitles. Yeah, but yeah, Americans but hate subtitles, right? I think that's right? not and, yeah. true anymore because of Netflix. Yeah. Like, I think it's yeah. just exposure. But I watch mm. lots of things with subtitles, but I can't multitask. 
that's all. <laughs> like, yeah, it's hard. You know, I, I find it hard to not be able to look at my phone and watch mm. it at the same time. Well, well that's why it's violence. Oh, mm. I guess I really like violence. <laughs> but, but I mean, it's not <laughs> violent, but it's like dramatic, you know, like it's not gory, but it's like Ooh, people die. Good. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah, it's not yeah. it's not slow it's moving. Tense. Yeah, yeah, sure. it's not. Yeah. There's no like, there's no dead air. Yeah. <laughs> so, do we therefore think that now we decided that Occupy Wall Street was in fact successful in a way? <laughs> I mean, honestly, it just feels like the world is worse now. <laughs> but I'm not sure if it is worse or I know more. I think it is worse, to be honest. Oh yeah, it is worse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Objectively, yes. <laughs> Uh, I mean, like the the problems that I don't know. I think that the the financial industry got regulated, but then they got regulated in in ways, yeah. That they were very heavily regulated, but then I didn't know that there will be. I mean, inequality is greater. I think the banks are less likely to go down. Like that's as in they're less like they're less likely to over leverage themselves and just suddenly go bust like that. Um, so they don't take the same risks that they did, but has it done anything for inequality? I don't, yeah, so I think they, they yeah, the banks, the financial industry is regulated, so it's less risky and that mm. they're less likely to go down and need a, need a bailout, I guess. Um, really? Like, so do you think they regulate, I mean, they're more regulated and they actually change their ways? Yeah, um, in like, in the sense that like they used to take huge risks with people's money. I think that was one of the key like themes of like the 2008 credit crunch and they're no longer allowed to take those risks. Um, so are you gonna lose your pension because some you know, fund manager was like gambling with it? You're much less, you probably are less likely for that to happen. Um, but that does not mean that the inequality aspect of it was addressed or that, um, you know, yeah. the world is the world is more any more humane. It's just that that particular speculation way of speculating has been yet yeah, cracked down on. What about Evergrande? I do not know about Evergrande. No, I just can't I deal with this news thing after news thing after news thing. <laughs> yeah. So the other thing is like on Evergrande, the Western news is very different from Chinese news because my mom mm. gets yeah, yeah. Chinese news and her understanding of it is like completely different from anything I read. Well, so, yeah. so complete, I basically didn't bother to read anything because I find it really hard to read most things about China in, um, in the Western press. So I was like, obviously I could just see headlines and it was like, Evergrande is China's Lehman Brothers default. It's going to bring down the whole of the, is China over. And, and I'm seeing these headlines and I'm just like, mm, they say that like every single week, you know, <laughs> like, like every single thing like bad that happens in China. It's like, oh, is China over in the Western press? Um, and then today, um, today I look at uh, the, new, the financial news and it's like, Oh, Evergrande is bouncing back. Uh, the the shock is over, and I'm like, yeah, oh, of course it is, because you because <laughs> you were overplaying it the whole time, you know. Like, so I don't know. 
yeah, didn't bother to follow. Mind. I mean, like, oh, surprise, surprise. It, it wasn't such a bad deal after all. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, pretty like, healthy, yeah. healthy way to think about it. Like, yeah. I mean, like, meanwhile, my mom's skeptical. like, oh, they've known about, like, in China, they've known about it for a year <clears> and <throat> they've been dealing with it. <clears throat> like, versus in the West, it's like, oh, my God, mm. it just happened. Mm. You know, it's, like, so different. It's funny. Um, but, uh, go ahead. Uh, I mean, yeah, I was just I was going to say that something something else about uh, debt, um, the book, you know, not the, mm-hmm. the concept, mm-hmm. was I, I, re- I really liked the sort of non-Western focus um, that, that Graeber at least tried to kind of um, bring into it. So, um, I mean, even in the, I, I don't know if you noticed, but he called the, um, the, the chapters about Europe, um, he called it the Far West. So he's you know, <laughs> kind of thinking about... which it was you know from the perspective of like yeah most of that five thousand years of history it was this kind of backwater um, yeah where where people were like living in mud huts and uh, the the all the sophistication was in india and china and the middle east or um Mm. maybe not that way around but the other way around and and that yeah it was it was really interesting you know it wasn't maybe so essential to the kind of main point but just to to hear that um, to that China and India um, in particular had these very sophisticated kind of systems which were much more humane and in lots of ways uh, than, than uh, what was happening in Europe at the same same time which would have from their perspective would have just seemed like this really kind of backwards barbaric um, place uh, it, was, it was interesting um, it's only at the end of the book really he kind of turns to Europe um, Western Europe and, and as this place which has kind of managed to like, like industrialize all of these terrible things and you know um bring bring back the kind of the slavery cycle uh, <laughs> kind of thing so. yeah it yeah. seems like really really cool like i really i did you watch any of the youtubes because you just mm-hmm. seem like such a really personable nice humble. Oh, yeah humble and smiling even though he is mm. snarky um he's actually very likable <laughs> which is like he's snarky his books are snarky like I think he's snarky but like in a nice way like and then and he also just likes the kind of challenge (laughs) he likes the challenge yeah it's your baseline he likes to challenge like things that a lot of academics just take as for granted and um um I like um because I cheated a bit and I looked at his other book called The Dawn of Everything which is a collaboration with him and I think a, someone, a professor who specializes in town planning or architecture or something like that. So it's by David Graeber and David Wegner. Yeah, so it's like a cross-disciplinary kind of um, book. And it, um, I, I read the first chapter and what, what I really thought was interesting was, um, first of all, his kind of, dismissal of of um the kind of common sense kind of predominant um take that just seemed really unchallenged and and was promoted by francis fukuyama um about kind of the inevitability of 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 where we are now and and how it just ties into human nature and this narrative where you know um we are like Either you are in a hunter-gatherer society, but you know, with the agricultural revolution, you had the ability to produce more than you could consume. So then you get uh, hierarchy and structures, and then you get sexism because uh, and all these qualities get magnified and, and industrial revolution, and then where we are now, and and 
this idea that um, that with societal progress in cities, we always necessarily have to have inequality because inequality is a, a natural byproduct of um, of being able to produce more than you can consume. Um, and he says that's bullshit. Um, and he brings in several examples of, of societies throughout history um, where they did organize it into large cities. I think he takes uh, Mesopotamia as like an example uh, and there are new discoveries of, of um, uh, archeological discoveries um, which change people's views all the time. And he says that there were pretty egalitarian societies in, in very sophisticated cities in the ancient world. Um, and this is evidenced by like a lack of really huge monuments, you know, like a Tutankhamun kind of thing, or, uh, or, or like, you know, this really like single person worship uh, and, and huge kings. He says that's not necessarily inevitable and hasn't necessarily been the case in many, many um, ancient sophisticated societies. And then this thing I think you touched on earlier about there being like people tending to gravitate around leaders. And he also kind of talks about how that doesn't necessarily have to be true either. And, um, and there are some, he takes the example of um, like seasonality. So he says that in, in, in some tribes, um, they are more hierarchical during the summer and less hierarchical during the winter or vice versa and more matriarchal in some seasons and and depending on yeah i suppose it depends on the situation the competence of a given person during that situation right. um so when you're hunting the, the, the person yeah exactly so i mean you have hierarchies but then you have I think what makes something, and we were talking about Occupy Wall Street and the hierarchy in Occupy Wall Street. And, uh, and I think, yes, people do gather around leaders, but I don't know if that's necessarily, a. I think that the, the word here is rigid, a rigid hierarchical structure, mm -hmm. which means someone is always senior to another person right. permanently mm -hmm. versus when we naturally just take leadership Mm -hmm. of different things when we when we decide that we're competent mm -hmm. so it's yeah so the ad, ad hoc kind of um <clears throat> organizational structures instead of there being yeah as they say kind of a rigid one and which is seems like a much better way to organize things that we when when you when your abilities um kind of um sort of, you know if, if, if it suits your particular abilities um that you that you become um, the, uh, the responsible person or whatever. Yeah, I mean, you adapt for success. And I guess like, the, I've heard the argument being made that the Bernie Sanders movement, which I think is actually no longer a Bernie Sanders movement, to be honest, mm -hmm. wouldn't have happened if it, if it wasn't for Occupy Wall Street. So it's mm -hmm. kind of like, not so much that wow. that is the only trajectory of um, Occupy, but it was like one trajectory in politics. And then there are other ways in which, you know, probably organizations, different political parties, et cetera, that are coming out um, was also influenced by like the whole 99% thing. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to be one movement. And in fact, it cannot be one movement because one movement like with Bernie Sanders, I think 
that was kind of the issue is that the establishment could see how to weaponize against Bernie Sanders. And so if it's only one movement and one leader, it's too easy to defeat. It's got to be like several in different areas. Mm-hmm. So, so there's still hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, way it's, uh, it, it's your your sort of uh, description of the book earlier is really interesting. That it, it's it sounds like it's kind of it's sort of a counterpoint to these popular um, history books like Stephen Pinker and and Yusuf Harari and people like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all about it's all about you know. It's it's like a progressive, um, you know, sort of myth of, of everything is progressive. Like we move from being kind of um, less sophisticated to, to to sort of an endpoint, and that there's a, some kind of inevitability that every culture and society moves in those particular ways. Oh, and, like so uh, every so some, you mean like every culture and society will move towards where we are, which is like mm, yeah yeah exactly terror. like we go yeah. versus yeah so like going through you know being sort of. Um, starting off as a sort of a peasant economy and then becoming enlightened and having right. sort of um, liberal values and so Amazing. forth, and the industrial revolution. And there's um, no sort of like idea of like, oh, you might have that perception because you are in this specific. Well, society. also just the idea that things, that's not the way it works in practice, is it? That it goes, sometimes it goes backwards mm-hmm. as, as, uh, as this book shows, you know, in, in, in like we kind of go between periods of. Right. Um, of, like uh, they tried paper money or they tried mm. like right in China China at some point and then they stopped mm. at some exactly, point. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so it's it's not it's it's not like this kind of inevitable kind of train of momentum that's going forward then. And and it also different parts of the world uh, develop mm-hmm. in different ways and they and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to end up at the same point. Um and that's like, yeah, that's another yeah, so it's a really interesting kind of um there's some kind of dichotomy there, isn't there, between people, people who think that um, everything is kind of uh, progressively getting better, and then, but actually, right. um, and people who think that it's kind of, it's actually much more complicated than that, and, and that what we think of as progressive society or politics isn't always like the, the best way of kind of doing things. No, yeah, I mean, I, I even you even kind of noticed that in in things like women's rights or LGBTQ rights, you would think that LGBTQ people have more rights now than they ever have in the past. And I don't know, you know, there are times when things have have uh, things have been, you know, more oh, conservative like and less conservatives in the past. Yeah, um, there are, you know, there are many things today that are many trends today which are happening, which are causing, you know, places to become less less and less socially liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, less amenable to women and things like that. So, yeah, there have definitely you know, there's always an ebb and flow, and um, and and things that, well, ebb and flow still makes it sound linear, and it's not right. it's not linear at all. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just you know more like things mm-hmm. popping up here and there, like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more and more ad hoc. It's mm. kind of it's kind of getting away. From idea that this kind of western like what we call like rationality is like this ultimate kind of goal of things you know that there's some kind of perfect way that we can organize everything and if we just if we just figure that out that everything would be great Um, yeah and also that we've actually um, kind of figured it out i mean that's the assumption is that we're we have kind of figured it out as much as humankind can possibly have figured it out and so we just have to keep going in in this 
particular tra trajectory. Like that's what that's what all the those history books that you're talking about suggest, right? Which I think is really fascinating because that means that we have no ability to adapt to our current crises because it's like capitalism has to be the best possible outcome because this is where you know we're at that place so we've learned from thousands of years and this is versus like oh you know what it's actually failing at the moment and so or, or if it's, if they if they agree it's failing they they um they think that the solution is just to be sort of more rational and more progressive about it rather than that maybe there's something you know there's other ways of thinking about it which you know well, what is more I'm, rational I'm not saying that i know what these uh, things right, are right yeah but like <laughs> even the idea of what's more rational mm. like well i guess if you can you know you somebody somebody who agrees that the capitalist system is broken but also thinks that it's the best thing might say that oh we just need to be smarter about how we kind of uh, organize the markets yeah. well another thing we haven't really talked about is um well, I mean, I know we we sort of briefly talked about the bullshit jobs thing, um, but actually, oh, yeah. the, I mean, the de debt itself ends with this kind of, in, you know, he says, I, actually, I don't know if, if the version that you read, if it was the newer version with an afterword, um, which he wrote a few years afterwards, uh, but he he kind of ends it with this being in praise of the um, the, the non-industrious poor. So it's like get, trying to... <laughs> you know, the, 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 Love the, it, the yes. That, um, <laughs> yeah. so no, it's, I guess it's part of that progressive thing, isn't it? Is that we're yeah, yeah. you know, it, it, it's okay to be poor as long as you're productive, and uh, mm -hmm. that's you know that's fine. But actually, we're moving to a place where, um, you know, endless growth is just destroying the planet, and mm -hmm. it's not necessarily a good thing to to always be productive and to be constantly making new new wealth. Um, and that you know maybe, maybe we should start being less productive in some ways. And, mm -hmm. uh, changing like the way we think about those things which is it's i think that's where his ideas about the bullshit job thing comes from really isn't it so, mm -hmm. you know way, way you kind of read more into it but, uh yeah. no i no i didn't take away more than that but i yeah. i love that idea and i think also with the extinction rebellion like I, who was it that they were always uh, telling everyone to read it was jason hickel wasn't it oh I, was I think yeah i think um one of their I think it's Jason Hickel that they're always telling. Um, really? Because uh, well, he does have a new book that is about the environment. It's about degrowth. Yeah, yeah. So I think. Um, yeah. He talks about debt a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it is Jason Hickel. Degrowth. Less is more. Less is more. Less is more. Yeah. Um, so talk, talk, talking basically about how like. Um, are increasing living standards predicated on, uh, well, increasing living standards of the, the middle and upper class are predicated on the growth of the economy and like our pensions and everything like that sort of predicated on that and how that's just not, it's not gonna be possible to, to maintain um, kind of that pace um, without completely just destroying the planet. Well, it's, it's only a very small number of us that live in this kind of, mm -hmm way anyway isn't it yeah, mm -hmm. and I can't believe I can't not I can't believe I can't remember who it was that was actually saying that they don't think that a socialist or equitable revolution would ever happen from a western country because even the poorest of us are still kind of not in as dire a, a place as people in the third world so 
it would never really get enough momentum. It would never get really that desperate for the system to be overthrown. Yeah. Uh, and all they would need to do well, would be to just satisfy, I guess, everyone in the first world. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's entirely possible. But it would absolutely be at the expense of everybody in the third world. Well, he kind of does talk about how debt keeps the, and I would say maybe more of the first world in this cycle of, you know, because you have to pay a mortgage, you have to pay whatever. So you have to keep, instead of staging a revolution or whatever, you mm. have to kind of keep within that. Keep you busy, yeah. Wheel. Yeah, but yeah. having said that, like in the US, it's like striketober. So I don't know about here, but um, I don't know about here in the UK. What's striketober? Well, essentially a lot of companies are striking in the US. Like mm. John Deere is, is striking. I think Kellogg's, I don't know if they wrapped that up. They, um film and television people i at sea or something almost went in a strike they're kind of like mm. in the bargaining phase of that um there's the other company that uh sells like biscuits i can't remember their name so and then this whole year it's been like frito-lay has gone on strike um so many companies have gone on strike mm. tyson's amazon I guess, like in a small part of it. So um, wow. that's really, that's really interesting. Yeah, that's, never heard of it. Yeah, it sounds like something's kind of changing. Um, well, the mainstream um, media doesn't really cover it that much. Have they? I, I'm sure they've always had strikes. I mean, no, like in the not Simpsons. as much as this year. I don't think. And yeah, yeah. If it is COVID. <clears throat> that's mm-hmm. true. Yeah, people are just more well, comfortable with like getting out there and getting the fact yeah. Well, it's also you have this um, uh, this kind of uh, change in the way that people can demand more wages, can't they? Because there's like a there's like a a labor shortage. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was I was just recently working on a project looking at the Great Plague of London in uh, 1665. and uh, and through that, like sort of looking at like what happens after after plagues and um, throughout oh, really? history, um, and you get I mean the the, the kind of the, well the, the the classic story is that it gets um, afterwards it gets better for uh, ordinary workers because there is this huge labour shortage mm-hmm. and people can demand um, increased uh, increased uh, rights and increased pay and I mean it's probably not that simple but that's that's you know there is an element. I mean of, um, the problem was like. Was it last year or this year that British gas gas engineers went on strike? And British then they didn't gas. get anything. Like, it really sucked that they basically lost their previous... I mean, they weren't even asking for more than their previous contract. They were, you know, their contract was being decreased. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were just striking to get back to their normal status quo. And they lost still. Mm-hmm which really is during COVID. I think maybe also because there was no media coverage, so there was no mass outcry. And that's Mm. how they're controlling um, Mm. all these strikes in a way. Um, Yeah, so that's not... And I mean, the thing that is sort of interesting about this year's strikes for me, just because I'm quite ignorant about the working conditions in just anywhere but also in the U.S. like a lot of the working conditions that were brought to that I suddenly brought to my knowledge I guess or my awareness was just like the same sort of stuff that you know suicide shifts etc everything that 
America has been accusing China for years. Mm. Now it's sounding like, oh my God, the US has been doing this for God knows how long. I mean, like the, the um, Frito-Lay strike, they had like something like, they called it the suicide shift. They, that's what they were trying to get rid of. And they had something like one day off in three months or something mm. like that. Mm. And they mm. just came away with like one day off a week or something. It was not even a normal, they didn't come away with like, oh, great working conditions. Mm. They just came away with a little tiny incremental yeah uh, change but really yeah, not yeah. in anyone's estimation like good working conditions for workers mm. yeah, uh, yeah. so it's kind of I, I don't know if you remember the i don't oh. know if you're the um the the sports sports direct uh yeah there was there was a, a story in the guardian a few years yeah. ago that, that journalist maintain and sort of described the conditions but it was mm. you know, it was just it was it was really all these as you say all these things that um uh, Western countries accuse others of, of doing. Um, oh God! So did they being, sort being out sort their of, issues with Sports Direct? Or they, I mean, they didn't. There was there was no. I don't think there was any um, labor organization. I think they just um, there was just this this story in the Guardian, and after you know, there was some controversy. So they, they you know there was no there was no mass strike movement or anything. I'm not sure if they really changed much. I think there was a lawsuit, wasn't there? So it was basically like technically because they would not include the time that you need to get ready. Um, so yeah. you had to look and, and to um, be checked by security. Or work, yeah, stuff. to be yeah, checked. Yeah. So they had this queue, that this line that would basically mean that it took you sort of 20 minutes to start work and 20 minutes to end work. And they would say that you had to do all of that before, um, like your starting mm -hmm. time. So they were basically adding like 20 minutes, half an hour on the start and the end. And uh, that, if you average that, out then you're paying less than the minimum wage so i think they had to abandon yeah that, exactly but, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. but minimum wage in the uk is extremely low still it's like seven pounds isn't it 25 mm. or something something like that yeah. depends it, it's um it's more a little bit more if you're in london but yeah it's and it's 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 lower it depends on your age as well if you're between 16 and 18 it's lower but yeah it's pretty pretty difficult to survive on for sure <laughs> Gosh, yeah, okay. Well, that's terrible. Um, <laughs> what a downer. What a downer. Yeah. Turns out that is not a good, uh, not really a good thing. Yeah. I mean, apart from that what, one instance where we said it was. <laughs> For the economy. Well, I think it's, well, I mean, it's okay to be in debt to your neighbor in, in that kind of way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I do I do kind of agree with that. It's quite, it is, it's not just a, that it's a good thing, but it's, there's something kind of nice and social about like be feeling like you have like shared like responsibilities to each other yeah. like oh i owe this person down the road this you know so someday i should do something for them mm -hmm. and, and without it being kind of like formalized i think that's that's it's good and, and it's it's also true that like some types of business they they run on credit like so if you um if you own a if you own a cafe um you get your coffee beans um in on credit from your suppliers and then you sell them to your customers and then you're able to um pay back and you know that's there's, there's nothing maybe inherently wrong with like that kind of like low level it's you know interest-free kind of like commercial debt um 
it's like it's it's one way of um you know it means it means that we can kind of do things but it's just we've turned it into this monster it's like mm. monstrous system no i think i did sort of realized that being in debt to your community is quite nice actually it made the book kind of made me think about um sort of because um yes i'm a gentrifier i live in a um in an ex-council flat but there are there is kind of still like a working class community around in this block and it, it feels really nice the way that they do help each other out and actually when my electricity uh went out for a day uh, all i had to do was text the group and um uh, and i was just flooded with all these sort of um offers of uh, for help and and like uh violet the uh, the 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 lady who lives sort of on the block um insists like really forced me to take these candles from her and and i was just like no 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 it's fine it's fine it's fine but actually it did start getting dark and and i did actually end up using it because it was dark like i was obviously fine during the day but yeah. as 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 it started to get dark and cold, I actually it actually did feel pretty horrible. And then I actually did use mm -hmm. the candles that that she lent me. And then I have other neighbours who will ask me to cats it and um, mm -hmm. just very proactively just say, "Oh, would you mind cat sitting for me?" You know, uh, and and it just seems like a very kind of natural thing for this community mm -hmm. to do to ask favours. And I think it's really really interesting because. Yeah it's not something that I've ever, it's not a, it's not the kind of environment that I've ever lived in. So you, you wouldn't call it debt, but it's, I think in some ways that's what it is, but it's just it's communism. It's like, a, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like something that binds you to other people, mm -hmm. um, which is a good thing. There's in, in the, in the Netherlands, they, they, um, if, if you go like do anything with a group of people, like go for drinks or I don't know, to the cinema or something, um, one person pays and then they have this thing it's an app called tiki and then every so you after you've gone uh, like you'll you um uh you 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 take a picture of the receipt say if it's a meal or something and then you put you uh you you send a message on whatsapp to say oh can you pay me back on tiki for this thing and this is everybody does this like every single time you go out Ooh. you get a tiki the next day and and i don't really like it i i, I find that I mean, I think I, I kind of struggle yeah. with that. Well, yeah, and it's also it's exactly it's doing exactly that thing where we, we go you go back to zero. You know, nobody mm, owes right. anybody anything. Like, that's so I'm funny because like that Ireland is Dutch where culture. People always, mm. <laughs> going Dutch, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is so Dutch is, culture. Yeah, exactly. yeah, they totally literally, true. so they actually yeah, yeah. do go Dutch then. Yeah. They do go Dutch. Well, yeah. <laughs> what a bunch like, of stingy strictly, people. Yeah. <laughs> no, but Just they're kidding. famous for being very exacting. <laughs> Yeah, and I wonder yeah, about yeah. their history of like. Well, they had like a huge history of imperialism, colonialism. Yeah, so maybe like that's it. Well, in Japan, they're also very accurate. I have to say, oh, like, and they're yeah. also colonialism. <laughs> they they <laughs> split they split the bill down to the one yen. Like, yeah, it's wow. the same here. Yeah, it's the same. Yeah, you oh. I'm sure. I think. I think the Germans as well. I'm not sure. Mm. Or is that just me being like stereotypy? But the Japanese definitely. Yeah. I, yeah. The Japanese definitely. Yeah. Well, I, I think part of it. I mean, it doesn't fully hold, but um, I think just being from big urban kind of centers where it's you things are quite impersonal in that way, so you don't, you don't necessarily mm. know your neighbors. Um, whereas yeah, coming from Ireland, where you know you would never do that because you would just know like the next yeah. time like this this person would would get it, and then yeah. it's just the That's way it. things yeah. work. Yeah. yeah. 
That's so different. true of this book then. That's mm-hmm. the, this whole idea of the book is like the, the debt is a continuing re- relationship versus because, mm. you know, you might not see those um, Dutch people again. <laughs> like, yeah. you know? so it's true. Or, or at least you don't feel that you have any connection to them in that way. You know, you could, yeah. if you, so it's a strange thing to say, but if you wanted to, you could you could cut off all contact really easily because you mm-hmm. don't feel like you you don't feel like you owe them anything. Um, I know that's a, it's kind of a slightly strange way to think about like our behavior, but I guess maybe it is true because that... I do. If somebody does buy me a lunch or something, then I'll be like, well, now I I have to get you a lunch. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does. I do think about it. <laughs> yeah, that is really true. Yeah, good. Um, did, do you think we covered everything? I think so. The only um, we didn't we didn't talk about student debt, which is like another interesting thing. And then, oh my god, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what? I'm lucky in that I don't have any, but yeah, uh, I know for lots of people, it's like this big crazy kind of. I mean, the system, US, you know? it's insane because Sally yeah. May, which is like this huge um, lender in, in the yeah. US, they can call you at your work. I mean, can you imagine? So like chase you off and stuff. Yeah. And call so your in, parents in the, and stuff. In the US, it's like, is it is it like private companies that just lend you money? I mean, is it I'm confused about it because I think, I think it's that it's agency. actually it's a yeah. government agency that works as if it's private, but actually yeah. that's why when they say like you can UK, just forgive yeah. the debt, you really can because it doesn't there's no there's no, you know, it's just the few numbers on some computer in the yeah, yeah. government system. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. again completely. I mean, I think people do tend to think of student debt, student loans, as like this middle class issue, um, and it's just very short sighted to think of it that way because obviously, if you you it might be a middle class issue now, but if you got rid of it and you gave people free education, then people that, you know, are less well-off can actually go to college. And because people do factor that into what they study as well. Like, you know, yeah. for obvious reasons. Is it going to be worth it? Like, yeah, am I going to be able to pay this off? This mm. Yeah. Yeah. In my lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's all part of, I mean, in some ways, it's the, they brought in the student loan system so that people from less well-off backgrounds could go to university um but it's not it's not very good if they're just doing that by making all these less off, well-off people get into lots of debt um and often for a university degree that won't kind of mm-hmm. it won't be uh, it won't be worth yeah. their while in the long run and it has interest um, right yeah yeah i, know, yeah, I, I was kind of shocked yeah that's quite yeah. a lot quite high yeah that's insane. Yeah. It's initially is it initially low, um, but become, can become quite high. Like yeah, and it changed as well. I had I looked into it. It, it there was there's a new system since like 2012 or something. Mm. Um, and it's yeah, it's it's a sort of I think it changes over time. Um, but I mean, Are you it's, talking it's about the UK here? The UK one, yeah, yeah, yeah the okay. UK. I don't don't really know much about the US. Just seems. Like the same system but magnified it's gonna be worse yeah whatever it is it's gonna be the same system <laughs> yeah. that's like basically <laughs> sums up the entire us and the uk <laughs> which is great yeah. yeah um i thought that education was still free in certain sectors in the uk no no, no it's not no. No, it's, um, no 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 it's um 
it's you know it, it's uh, it's you have to pay fees and they so they, they brought in a system where they they said okay you can if you you know at the most you can charge this amount um, but you know obviously there's going to be you know we expect you to have different rates depending on the course because some are more expensive than others and like straight away all the universities just um, charged the full cap to everybody as much as they possibly could. Um, it's yeah, it's crazy. I mean, they're you know the universities are um, they're underfunded, but that's it's not that's the, you know the the student loan system is not going to pay for it and it shouldn't. Um, why is why are the universities uh, underfunded? I, I mean, I guess it's just incredibly expensive to run. Um, mm. They have they have lots of. Um, you know, huge overheads, uh, like big admin bills. Um, they, you know, some of them obviously do quite well with um, research funding, uh, but that's only a tidy percentage, like Oxford and Cambridge are obviously, they're not broke, but, you know, the, the ordinary university, um, which doesn't bring in, like, which doesn't have, like, partnerships with, with companies, and it doesn't have, like, huge research grants because nobody kind of knows about them. They're, they're, um, like struggling for money but then they run it like these you know um they, they sort of run them as sort of neoliberal um corporations so they they're, they're headed by somebody whose main job is just to try and make the thing financially and um, run it as a business secure, and they do that yeah 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 completely yeah yeah they, that's uh yeah that's that's the, the yeah. that's like the yeah and it's like <laughs> the, the ideology at yeah. the top is just that these these things should be profit making and will do anything to make it so i wonder what the chinese system is like because you know there's been so many i've been reading so much about how like their stem graduates their engineers they're just churning them out so mm. i just really am curious like maybe the financial <laughs> incentive they have financial incentives i wonder there. if it's just yeah. subsidized i'd like to know yeah mm. i because like it just seems to me that I don't know because I only meet people from China who come here. So, um, they're probably like, well off. Then. I mean, they're probably uh, middle class already, but um, it does. I'm, yeah, I don't even want to say. Like, I wonder if the government just like. I think there are people, some universities yeah. that are just completely subsidized because yeah, yeah. they are so competitive to get into, like the main mm -hmm. ones. There is a lot of competition. And though, then yeah. there are private ones for the people yeah. who can't get into those main ones because of the competition. Did they you know what was quite like interesting though there's a couple of things that um that they banned in china like two months ago that um i think people tried to report tuition. negatively on and it was private tuition which is yeah. one of your pet hates Jan. <laughs> really yeah well, well they wasn't were, they it trying to get rid of oh, yeah yeah it's illegal now they you can't you can't do night school or something yeah. Really. yeah 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 i mean the whole the whole um school system in the uk is just mm. based around paying um people to uh yeah to like to privately tutor your child mm -hmm. class um, entrance exams to get into mm -hmm. schools i mean the Crazy. whole thing you can't even you you no matter how smart you are you can't get in without without these people yeah um, see which i did like, which you <laughs> did because you're yeah, a genius yeah, yeah. you facilitated well, I wouldn't, it yeah yeah i did yeah, yeah. i mean i wouldn't yeah. have even really thought about it unless i had done it for you know Mm -hmm. kind of on and off for a year oh no you were a tutor that. i thought you got into I was the a system tutor. without tutoring no no i mean everyone did when i was and there's yeah in, in ireland there's not really such a thing as good schools or bad schools 
at least at, at least in primary school there you just mm. go to your local school like they're all the same um and then mm. yeah it's, it's not there's no private school system or at least the, the one that is there is very small and it's not really i don't i don't think everybody you know there's, there's not uh there's not a real desire for the, a lot of people to try and go to these schools it's a slightly different thing yeah, I, it's so fascinating to me that the Chinese, you know, saw this system as a big enough problem to just completely ban it, you know, and, and, and what they're saying is, you know, on the weekend, children should spend time outside and, um, you know, spend time with their, their families, etc. <laughs> it's just, it's so interesting. Um, but yeah. Anyway, uh, anything else that we haven't covered that we should just before we wrap up? I think we covered most of the book. <laughs> I'm going to keep going with this with with David Graeber because I think he's really, really, really interesting. Mm. Really, I definitely want to read this Dawn of the the Dawn mm. of Everything book. Um, it seems very. It seems like a kind of. It seems kind of like a counter uh, or like a, a nice balance to uh, what's his name, Yuval Harari. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, it seems like mm -hmm. a nice, like, because uh, every, like, y y y you go on the tube and it's just, just like everyone is reading Sapiens. And I'm just like, well, I don't know. It's maybe maybe yeah. now, maybe like. I like, still haven't read that. I've read it. It was really, it was really, really interesting. I liked it, but yeah. like, but everyone, it's like I would like. There must be another book too. I mean, you can't, you can't all take like the history of everything in the world, like from this one book. Um, it's so, true. Yeah. I saw somebody reading it last week. Yeah, it's still, but it, it, it is interesting that you know this, there's a lot of people going around with this, with that particular worldview. Um, You're not allowed to read it, Ileana, because like. You're, you're only allowed to read, say, if you read Sapiens past um, 2017, then um, it, then then you're just lame. Oh, no. <laughs> it's one of those books that my dad talked about, and so yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Too late. <laughs> yeah, once my dad talked about it, it's always like, oh, well, do I have to read that? You yeah. know, <laughs> like, kind of, this is why I haven't read If your read dad's discovered, like, <laughs> Sapiens or, like, TikTok, then it's, it's just over. He's <laughs> telling me to, to read Marx as well. <laughs> I mean, Marx is like, you know, there's classics and there's trends, right? Mm, yes. Well, I don't know if you want to do a takedown of Sapiens in a future episode. <laughs> 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 we can do, like, Dawn of Everything versus Sapiens. Who wins? Mm. <laughs> Maybe you could do that. <laughs> but then I'd have to read both. <laughs> yeah, try, don't don't give yourself books that are too long to read. <laughs> this was a lot to read. Yeah, this is a yeah. lot. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how much I retained either, <laughs> but no, no, it's a lot, a lot to retain. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I think yeah. the things that I did learn about it was kind of. It was, I, and it makes sense that he's an anarchist that, that read, uh, wrote it. Just the, the idea of like how our assumptions are just really not based on, um, not, I mean, to say sometimes our most obvious assumptions are not sound, you know? And, and, the, and that's, I mean, I think this whole journey of the podcast has made me realize more and more like 
you know, it's obviously easier to see other people's biases and prejudices, mm-hmm. <laughs> much harder to see your own because mm-hmm. you don't think they're, they're, but you think you're being rational, like, mm-hmm. like you were saying. And um, yeah, you might just be brainwashed. No, that's, yeah, that's a good, um, it's a good goal for most authors, I think, isn't it, to try and make you think about these things in different ways and like try and yes try and like reassess your own perspective on the world and your values and uh, and see that it's not not they're not always inevitable or not not always more sensible ones yeah (laughs) okay well thank you so much for joining us in this very long conversation about debt (laughs) it was long and it covered so much right (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, exactly just like the book yeah so touch on everything (laughs) yeah okay Thanks, well, yeah, thank you very much for I owe you one. The Ignoramus's Guide to Surviving Humanity is available as a podcast on Spotify and Amazon Music. You can also like and subscribe to our videos on YouTube. And if you want to help us grow, then you can become a patron on Patreon. And that's it, right? I think that's That's it. it. Yeah. (laughs)